Hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. And, you know, we're glad that today you've chosen to, to tune in with us and to catch the last of this series that we're in called Remote Control. We're concluding this series that we began like five weeks ago. And in this series, we've been looking at how God it looks at our emotions and how we handle the emotions that we have. Either we use our emotions to honor God or, and make us more like God, allow, allow them to draw us closer to him. Or your emotions can lead you on a path that takes you away from God and leads you towards destructive behaviors. For some of you, you grew up with this idea that you just don't talk about your, your emotions. You don't talk about your feelings, especially certain feelings. If certain feelings are seen as bad emotions, then avoid those. Just don't do those things. And they're supposed to be, those, those type of emotions are supposed to be buried and, and not dealt with. But we all know that emotions will surface in one way or another. And sometimes the way in which they surface actually ends up being kind of ugly. For others, you were taught to embrace your feelings or your emotions. You were taught that your emotions will lead you, that you should follow them wherever they take you, almost like a GPS. But the problem with that is, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, your emotions have a tendency to distort the truth. Your emotions have this tendency to give you a false picture, to lie to you. Now, this whole topic of talking about our emotions, talking about our feelings... For some of you, this has been very uncomfortable. It's not something that you tend to do, so you, you don't like it. But here you are, week number five. For some of you, you've made it the whole way through this five-week series. You're to be applauded. But today, to wrap up this series, I want to talk about an emotion that many of these other emotions that we've talked to can lead to this emotion. It's an emotion that can tend to surface where the root is some of those other emotions that we talked about. And that emotion that we're talking about today is anger. Anger is an emotion that sometimes is referred to as a secondary emotion because it is often the outward expression of another internal emotion. Some people compare our anger to an iceberg where it's easy to see the expression of someone's anger, but there's so much more that's not seen. There's so much more that's below the surface that other people can't see. Maybe below the surface of your anger is anxiety. And what happens is anxiety surfaces as anger. So maybe you think you have an anger issue, but really what you have is an anxiety problem. I've seen this in people. I've seen people that are in situations where they're incredibly uncomfortable, they're incredibly nervous, their anxiety is at an all-time high, and what they do is they lash out over such a small little thing. And the problem is it's not, they're not really nervous. It's not really that they have an anger issue. It's that they have an anxiety issue. We can become anxious when we feel like we're out of control. And so this outburst of anger gives us this false sense of power that puts us artificially back in control in the moment. That's just one of the emotions that can lay below the surface and emerge as anger. In this series, we've looked at David. Now, if you don't know, David was a king. He was a warrior. He, he slayed a, a giant. And David wrote a bunch of psalms, sort of poems slash songs, that, that a lot of them were just raw, and they talked about his emotions. And David invites you to 
journey with him as he deals with these emotions, as he, as he handle, ultimately handles them and ultimately gives them over to God. And so we get to see the rawness of it, but we also get, get to see the outcome. And so as we've discovered, David's an emotional dude. And so this week, we're going to look at an angry psalm that he wrote. Now, many times in church, we will sing worship songs that borrow some of the themes of these psalms, that take some of the lines of these psalms, and they, and they become sort of the central part of the worship songs that we sing. But the psalm we're looking at today is not one that we sing, and in a moment, you will see why. Psalm 109 is probably the angriest psalm. Like I said before, David's psalms are him at his most raw, good or bad. Last week, we saw David is laying down in green pastures by still waters. Well, this week, David is mad. Let's begin by reading in verse 8. And as we do, his anger will become quite obvious. Now, He's directing this anger towards someone. Now, it's not said who it is. Biblical scholars have been able to draw some parallels and some lines, and we think we know who it is, but we'll get to that in a little bit later. But here's what he says. Let his years be few. Let someone else take his position. May his children become fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander as beggars and be driven from their ruined homes. May creditors seize his entire estate. And strangers take all he has earned. Let no one be kind to him. Let no one pity his fatherless children. May all his offspring die. May his family name be blotted out in the next generation. Wow. Have you ever prayed like that? Dear Jesus, I hope that my enemy dies soon. I pray that you take everything he has. I pray that everyone hates him. I, I hope he dies. I hope everyone hates his children. And I pray that they die as well. Amen. Ever said that prayer? I'll be honest, that's not a prayer that we're teaching our kids in our kids program here. Um, but David's angry. I mean, I told you, he's an emotional guy. And what you need to know is this. David was a hero. He was a, a feared warrior. He fought many battles, but battles in which he should never have come out alive. And yet, against all odds, David was the victor. And so... He was feared as a warrior. And so all these things that David's praying about, about this man, he could have done these things himself. He doesn't need God to do this for him. He could have done them himself, but he doesn't. He takes the raw emotion that he's feeling and he goes to God with it. He presents it to God and he releases it to God. Well, during this series, we've talked about a couple of the vehicles that I've owned over the years. Now, one of those vehicles was a hand-me-down. It was my dad's old Astro van. I don't know if you remember the old Astro vans. Well, this van was kind of when I got it on its last legs a little bit. And, but we needed a vehicle, and my dad just gave me for free his, his Astro van. And it, it came in really, really handy, especially when I was coaching basketball, because I could transport like half the team around to different games and tournaments in this van. So it, it, we put some miles on it, even though it was nearing the end of its life. But something happened with that vehicle a couple times that made me not want to drive it anymore. Something happened with that vehicle that made me really nervous to have students or my own family in that vehicle. Because a couple times the accelerator got stuck 
And even taking your foot off the gas, it would continue to accelerate. And so by putting your foot on the brake, it would not bring you to a stop. It would slow you down, but it didn't stop. So one day I'm heading to work and this happened. And as I was coming to this turn, it was like a three-way stop. As I'm coming to this turn, I tried to brake, but it only started to slow me down because the, the, the accelerator was still, was still engaged. It was still going. So as I approached the turn, I am so thankful that day that there were no pedestrians, that there were no other cars, as, because I slowed down enough to get across the street, but I went up the lawn of the house across the street, made the turn across the lawn, and kept going. And now I'm going towards a really busy intersection. Well, luckily, I was able to grab the, the um, gear shift, put it into neutral, pull the parking brake, and I was able to stop my vehicle before anything terrible, terrible happened. But in that moment, I never trusted that vehicle again. It wasn't too long before we were looking for a new vehicle, but I was always nervous after that driving it. I just, I didn't trust it anymore. I didn't know when it would just go off and, and, and do this thing again. I always felt a little bit unsafe in it, even when things seemed like they were fine. You know, when you've got an anger problem, that's what it's like to live with some of you. Nobody knows when you're going to go off. Nobody feels quite safe all the time. Everyone kind of stays out of your way because you could just go from zero to 60 in the snap of a finger and all of a sudden your brakes don't work. You can't, we can't stop, stop you once that anger has boiled up. And by the time you figure out to brake, how to brake it, put a brake on it, serious damage can be done. And anyone riding with you is always on edge. And that's where David's at. When David expresses the emotion that he feels in this psalm, he's out of control. He's kind of gone off, and he's more than irked. He's, he's irate. And it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't tell us exactly who he's talking about, but historical uh, biblical scholars, they, they figure it's a man that we read about in 1 Samuel 25. His name is Nabal. In 1 Samuel 25, before David had become king, David has this run-in with Nabal. Now, leading into just a little bit of backstory, leading into this, David is on the run from King Saul. King Saul has turned his back on David, and now Saul wants David dead. And, and, and David considered King Saul at one time like family. But now he's on the run, and he's hiding in caves. And he's got 600 of his men with him, but they are trying to get, go off the radar, go, go off the grid. They're trying to, they're, they're, their lives are in jeopardy, and they're trying to stay out of sight. And that's when he meets Nabal. Verse 2 says, There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife, Abigail, was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dwellings or his dealings. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten of his young men to Carmel with the message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time, and while your sheep stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your men, and they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us 
and with your friend David. And so David sends this message. And he takes this approach. He wants to be very civil, very nice in his approach. And he reminds Nabal that even though he has 600 men in his army and they could have forcibly taken whatever they wanted because in that time, you know, might was always right. He could have easily done it. He didn't. He wanted to be a good neighbor. He wanted to do, do what was right. In fact, as a result, he actually, his army actually protected the shepherds day and night. And so they were never in a better place when David's men were around. So he wonders if Nabal, as a, as a gesture, a friendly gesture, would maybe provide them with some provisions, donate to their cause. Verse 9 says, David's young men gave the message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. Here's how Nabal replies. Verse 10. Who is this fellow, David? Nabal sneered to the young man. Why does this son of, or who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered from my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? The thing is, Nabal knew exactly who David was. David was not exactly the type of person who was inconspicuous. He was well known. So not only does he deny David's request, but he does it in a way that is so offensive and demeaning. And maybe this is how Nabal treats some people. Maybe this is regularly how he treats people. But David is not just some people. So verse 12 says, So David's young man returned and told him what Nabal had said. Now, before we get to David's reply, let me tell you a story real quick. A few years ago, I was coaching uh, high, our high school basketball team. And we had a game one night where we were, the, we were the best team in the league, and we were going into the building of the worst team in the league. And these guys were actually really, really bad. They, were, they, they probably had played 13, 14 games at this point, and they'd lost all 14. Not only lost them, but lost them by a lot. And so as a coaching staff, we made a decision real early that, listen, we could probably legitimately win this game like 100 to 5, but we're not going to do that. We're not going to try to embarrass some young men. We're not going to run the score up. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to play some of our best players at the start of the game, get a little bit of a lead, and then what we're going to do is we're going to bring in our worst players, our bench players, and we're going to give them some minutes because they hadn't played uh, that many minutes all year, and this was a great chance for them to, they've worked hard, a chance for them to get some time on the court. And so that what that will do is that will keep the game somewhat competitive and, and save the other team the embarrassment that would follow of us blowing them completely out. And so that's what the plan was, and it's what we did. In the second half, we had about 15, 20 point lead, and we decided, okay, all, the, all our, our best players, our five best players, you're coming off the floor. You're done for the night. We're going to put in our bench players. They're going to finish out this game, and uh, we will save face for everybody involved. And I was happy for those players, those bench players who didn't get to play that much, and especially happy for one, one guy. His name was Juan. Juan was our foreign exchange student from Spain. Juan wasn't a great basketball player. Actually, probably wouldn't have made the team outright, but we decided when during tryouts that we wanted to give Juan the full Canadian experience. And so we put him on the basketball team to play, and Juan got out there, and he, he improved as the season went on, but he wasn't the greatest. So this was a great night for him to get a chance to, to, to 
play a little bit, maybe even score. We were really hoping he would score a basket so he could go back to Spain, tell them that he was part of a Canadian high school basketball team. He even scored once, and uh, we were really hoping for that. And so what happened next was Juan got the ball, and he was about to put a shot up. We were, hope we were watching, hoping it would go in, and one of the players from the other team blocked his shot out of bounds. Now, that's a legitimate basketball play and actually a good play on, on the defender's part. But what happened next was really unsettling. Because this team, who we were laying up on, all of a sudden started celebrating excessively. In fact, the one player who blocked the shot got in Juan's face and mocked him and celebrated. And one other guy from the team came over in front of our team's bench and, and flexed in front of the bench. And what happened next, I'm not, exactly, I'm not exactly proud of. Because in that moment, I felt like we were disrespected. I felt like we had done everything that we could to make sure that we didn't disrespect them at all. And they came out and their players disrespected us. Now, in hindsight, it was a bunch of 15 and 16-year-old boys whose brains haven't fully developed yet. And uh, I don't know if you can expect more. But I felt disrespected. I felt our team was disrespected. And I looked at our best players on the bench and I said something similar to what David said in the moment where he felt disrespected. David said, get your swords. Well, I didn't say get your swords, but I turned to our best players and I said, everybody up, get out there. We're about to show them a lesson in respect. And so this was not a well-thought-out, rational decision. This was a decision that came from a boiling anger from inside. It was a decision that came from sudden anger. As a result, on a side note, one of our best players went out in the, the rest of that game, sprained his ankle really badly, and was hurt for the playoffs and the games that actually mattered. Wouldn't have happened if I responded differently. See, when that anger boils up in you, you feel that, you need to decide, are you going to react or are you going to respond? I reacted. David reacted. See, David makes a similar unwise decision based on anger as I did that day. Verse 13, he says, get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. See, David, was, David wasn't just sending his men, he's going too. Then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained to guard their equipment. You notice David's response is aggressive. It's outward. It's apparent. If you were around him in that moment when he got that news back that he was being disrespected, there would be no doubt, David is mad. See, some of you are like that. Some of you have a short fuse. You steam. You yell. You might punch things. While others of you... You have an anger issue, but it doesn't look like that. It's internal. Uh, for some of you, your anger is passive-aggressive. You withdraw. You hold back encouragement. You hold back attention. You hold back affection. See, being passive-aggressive sometimes is a favorite approach of Christians because you can be mean without it looking like you're being mean. You can treat people harshly and then plead, well, I didn't realize, I didn't know they would take it that way. I wasn't trying to, to do that. See, one of my favorites is this. When someone comes up to you and says, no offense, but what comes next is almost always offensive. Some people become sarcastic 
when they're angry. Others just kind of shut down. There's this silent, that's, it can be worse. Some people are just like, I would rather that you yell and scream than this, this quiet anger, this boiling that I see. You won't even look people in the eye. You won't talk to people. It's even worse. There's so many different forms of anger. Again, some of you, when you're angry, you don't slam doors. You don't yell. So you assume, I don't have an anger issue. But anger expresses itself in different ways. So David reacts rather than responds. He says, strap on your swords. We're going. He reacts. But the Bible calls us to thoughtfully respond rather than react. Scripture says, Scripture doesn't say you shouldn't be angry ever because that's just, it's a natural emotion. But what it does is it promotes a slow anger. Step back, take a breath, formulate your response. James, the brother of Jesus, writes that we should all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. But David rounds up his 400 armed men and they head towards Nabal. And they're offended. And offense is on their mind. Verse 14. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's, or Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent some messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we have never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there's going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. See, that's the problem when you're angry. See, people around you can see there's a problem, and they want what's best for you, but they feel like they can't tell you. They tiptoe around you. You know, they even, even Nabal's servants, they didn't go straight to Nabal. They didn't, go, they didn't feel like they could go to Nabal and say, hey, listen, there's an issue you need to know about. They knew we need to go to Abigail. Because if we tell him he is going to be angry and he's not going to receive this message that we give. And the problem is, when, when you're like that, the problem is, is because you're too sensitive and you tend to overreact. Because you're thinking, well, no one's told me I'm too sensitive and I tend to overreact. Yeah, that's because you're too sensitive and you tend to overreact. Abigail knew how her husband would react with, with her trying to intervene or anyone else trying to intervene. She's, she's probably seen this so many times in his life where someone has tried to come to him and he gets so angry, he gets his back up and he lashes out. So she does what many people do when you live with somebody who is angry and does that type of thing. She goes around him. She does damage control without his knowledge. Verse 18, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, Go on ahead. I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. You see, what you find out, and this was mentioned earlier in the, one of the verses, Abigail is actually a very intelligent woman, very smart. She sends food ahead to hungry, irritable men. 
She, she knows there's this group of men, they're coming towards her, they're hungry, they're angry, they're offended. She, instead of going straight to them, she sends her servants ahead of her with food before she tries to make any deal with her. That's smart. It puts them in a better mood. It's just smart. Verse 20, as she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward her. David had just been saying, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for good? You see, now you're seeing the root of the anger. Now you're seeing the iceberg underneath the surface. You're seeing that the surface is anger. But underneath, David feels like, I did what was right. I did good. I respected this man and his servants and his sheep. I was respectful. I protected them. I asked for nothing. I, I could have, I, I was in the right. I, I could have done whatever I wanted. I could have taken what I wanted, but I did what was right. And in, and in return, they mock me. In return, they offend me. It almost seems like David's anger is justified. And I'm sure if you sat down with David in this moment, he would convince you, it would be a very compelling case, he would convince you that he's in the right, Nabal is in the wrong. He'd convince you it's righteous anger. But it's not. Because the key to righteous anger is that righteous anger is not born out of personal offense. Jesus is our example of this. There are times in the gospel where Jesus is angry, but he's never angry about how he's treated. He got angry when someone who is vulnerable gets mistreated. Are you angry about how you're being treated? Or are you angry that someone who can't protect themselves is being hurt? See, that's a different anger. And so Abigail comes up on, on David, and he's still stewing. He's probably muttering to himself. He's rehearsing in his head what he's going to say to Nabal and how he has all right to be offended. And here's what Abigail says in verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. Again, I told you Abigail is smart. She does something here. She humbles herself before David. You see, when you're overreacting, when your response doesn't match the, the, the root or the offense, and someone comes to you with humility, it's hard to stay mad. If somebody comes at you aggressively when you're overreacting, you just take it up a notch. But when somebody comes at you and you're overreacting and they come at you with humility, it's hard to stay mad and you feel like a fool. You recognize that your response is not does not match what it should be. Verse 24, she fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He's a fool, just as his name suggests. You see, the, the name Nabal actually literally meant fool, and he's living up to it. Skipping down to verse 28, she says, Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty. For you're fighting the Lord's battles, and you've not done wrong throughout your entire life. See, she gives him something to think about. She's like, David, history's going to record this day. And what story do you want it to tell? Do you want 
people to talk about the man of God you are? Do you want, when this story is relayed, do you want your kids to tell this story? That you responded like a man that has God at his back? Or do you want to write a different story where, where you look like a, someone who's vengeful and, and, and angry? Skip to verse 31. She's still making her case. She says, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. You see, when you choose to react or respond, you're writing your story. And so Abigail pleads for David, take a step back, take a breath, formulate a proper response. David, you've brought 400 men to slaughter this man and his people because he gave you some attitude? Where's this coming from? See, there's a good chance that 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 anger that David's feeling for Nabal is just part of the iceberg above the surface. But underneath the surface, David's been on the run. This is what we need to understand. David's been on the run from King Saul. David's frustrated, he's angry, he's hurt by King Saul, and he can't do anything about it. And so what he's doing is he's transferring his anger towards King Saul over to Nabal. You ever see that happen? You ever see that happen? See, we've all seen someone melt down and thought, that reaction doesn't really fit the situation that we're watching right now. There's something up. I think we've all seen that happen. Going back to Psalm 109 that we've been looking at, David goes on, he writes his, in his psalm, he goes on this tirade, in it, and it seems like it's about this situation, but there's one verse that is interesting in this prayer that gives some insight. If you read the entire psalm, he goes on and on, angry and, and cursing this man, and cursing his offender. Then in verse 22 he says, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is full of pain. You see, there's, that's something about people who are angry. Hurt people hurt people. People that have been hurt will transfer that hurt to hurting someone else. Hurt people hurt people, and David is hurt. His heart is full of pain, and now that hurt is being transferred to someone who disrespected him. Skipping back to verse 29 in 2 Samuel, Abigail continues to give David a little bit of perspective. And she says this, Even when you're chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. You don't think, he, you don't think they knew who David was? She reminds David that at one point that he stood before a giant and God protected him with some stones and a slingshot. Does this situation seem to require the, the same response of aggression, David? Is God really endorsing the way you're responding to this? So David has to decide. Am I going to rage and get, experience this temporary satisfaction but then experience the guilt and shame that follows? Or am I going to release this over to God and allow him to do what he's going to do? Allow him to act on my behalf? See, this is what Psalm 109 is. David could have destroyed Nabal. He could have caused 
Everything that he was wanting to happen to Nabal, David could have done by his own hands. But he doesn't. He takes his anger, he takes his pain, and he releases it. He gives it to God. It's yours, God. Do with it what you will now. Do what you want. If you think this requires justice, Lord, it's yours. If I'm overreacting, it's still yours. I release this to you. David looks at God and he says, listen, Lord, this is how I want to deal with this. But I'm giving it to you. Here's how the story ends. Verse 32. David replied to Abigail, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. Then David accepted her present and told her, return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. When Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, so he didn't. So she didn't tell him about, the, about her meeting with David until the dawn the next day. In the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. As a result, he had a stroke, and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck him, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise the Lord, who has avenged the insult I received from Nabal and has kept me from doing it myself. Nabal has received the punishment for his sin. Then David sent messengers to Abigail to ask her to become his wife. There's no doubt. David watched this woman and was so impressed how she handled things, so impressed how she carried herself. He wanted her for his wife. When the messengers arrived at Carmel, they told Abigail, David has sent us to take you back to marry him. And I think equally as impressed, Abigail finally was able to talk sense into another man who didn't just brush her off and, and lash back, but actually listened. What does Abigail do? She, jump, dump, she jumps on a, a donkey and becomes his wife. See, David goes from being like my old Astro Van, unpredictable, dangerous to be around, but ultimately, he listens to the advice of Abigail, chooses before it's too late to respond rather than react, and gives his anger over to God to do as God will. And here's how Psalm 109 ends. This is where we started. Psalm 109, after David's angry rant, he says this, But I will give repeated thanks to the Lord, praising him to everyone, for he stands beside the needy, ready to save them from those who condemn them. And see, we see, it's almost like we watch David grow during this psalm from anger and rage to a place where he hands over his emotions to God and he actually turns them into worship. He actually praises God in the midst of it. So as we wrap this series up today, I don't know, I don't know what emotions that you're dealing with. I don't know what emotions that you have that keep coming to the surface and it seems to be a, a bit of a pattern in your life. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe you worry about things that, that, that you just dwell on. Maybe you, just, you can't seem to just push them to the side and put your trust completely in God and, and they keep coming up. Maybe it's, maybe it's this, this season of busyness and, and being tired all the time that are leading to your emotions being all over the place. 
Maybe it's shame. Maybe, you, maybe you've done something in your past and you've asked God for forgiveness and he's forgiven you, but you just can't seem to let it go or fully believe that God is, is releasing you of that shame. Maybe it's anger. Maybe, maybe you're angry and, and I'm sure if I sat down and I heard your story, I'd probably agree with you that you have every reason to be angry. But what they say about anger is it's like holding a hot burning piece of coal in your hand and hoping that the person that you're angry with feels the pain. You see, it's time to turn those emotions over to God. It's time to lay them at the feet of Jesus and just say, God, here's how I want to react, but I release it to you to do as you will. You know, today, if you have never made a conscious decision that you're going to follow Jesus, maybe this is your day. Maybe you've been dealing with these emotions all on your own and you've thought to yourself, you've told yourself that you would, you would love to come and, and, and give your life to, to, to Jesus, but you have to get rid of this shame or you have to get rid of this anxiety or you have to get rid of this anger issue that's eating at you. The truth is God's not waiting for you to become perfect before you come to him. He wants to journey with you. He wants to walk with you in your journey so that you, have a, you come to a crossroads anytime you experience emotion. Am I going to allow it to take me further away from you, Lord? Or am I going to allow it to draw me closer to you? Am I going to allow it to take me to a place where my behavior looks less like you? Or am I going to allow it to be an opportunity to grow and become more like you? If you've never made that decision to follow Jesus today, I pray that you would you would make that decision today. And it's just as simple as praying and just turning your life over. It would be the greatest decision you, you could make. And if you'd like to some support, I'd love it if you'd email me, Roy at myapa.ca. I'd love to follow up with you. Or I'd, even better, find somebody around you that, that, follows, that, that follows after Jesus and, and tell them the decision you've made today. We hope, I hope that, that this uh, this series has been a blessing. I hope that you look at your emotions differently, that you don't need to be ashamed that there's no good emotions or bad emotions. But every emotion has an opportunity, an opportunity for growth and for to make us better. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this, this day. I thank you that you created us to be emotional beings. And our emotions are what drive us. And our emotions are not good or they're not bad. They're, they're just how we're wired. They're what, they're what move us towards something. But God, too many times we allow our emotions to move us away from things that are good. We allow them to move us away from you. Allow, us to move us, allow them to move us away from healing. But all you want for us, Lord, is for us to be able to walk in freedom. To not carry shame with us. To not be exhausted all the time. To not carry anxiety. To not be the type of person, person who lashes out. And so today, God, I pray that for those that are listening, I pray that they would ask you to do inventory of the emotions that they have. These emotions that seem to rear their head over and over again, God. And allow us, to, our, our, allow us to be honest with ourselves. 
and discover are we truly giving them over to you or are we doing what we feel like we want to do in the moment? Because as we do, we find freedom. As we do, we become more like you. So God, I pray your blessing on each person that's listening today. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.